Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. Yesterday, uh, late afternoon, Jane and I were in the house and I was putting, typing some notes up and stuff, finishing up for preparation for this morning. And uh, she was doing something in the kitchen, and all of a sudden, we heard this clanging, banging, here's our gutter, like a bang against the gutter, and then thumping on the roof, and I'm just like, what in the world is going on? And we both just kind of like froze and went outside the back, and Jane's like, oh no, like what, what is it? Well, the umbrella that usually is on our round table, with you know those big umbrellas with the poles you stick in and you turn, tighten them down so they don't go anywhere, market umbrella they call them or something, it was up on our roof. <laughs> True story. Unbelievable. And I don't know how it got up on the roof. It really wasn't even that windy. But something just, yeah, I know. A little gust of wind caught it just right and must have just picked this thing straight up, carried it up, and it was, yeah, it was perfect shape. I had to get the ladder out, go up and get the umbrella, retrieve it. But it, anyway, strange story, but true. I did take a picture of it before, because I, I told Jane, I said, oh, I need to go get the ladder. Well, I came out with my, my phone to take the picture. She said, that doesn't look like a ladder to me. And I said, well, I have to capture this, because it's a very unique situation, good story. <laughs> there was a statement that I saw a pastor made. It says, a good sermon helps people in two ways. One, some rise from it greatly strengthened, Others wake from it refreshed. <laughs> now, we probably have both in our congregation. Trust me, I know. <laughs> I hope you're refreshed after you wake up and that, that they're strengthened one way or another. But it's, it was something fun. I thought, you know, that's, that's a good one. Very good. Anyway, we've, we've been... Talking about rising above our adversity, and uh, it's been something good going through. And, and God's been challenging in me in this in my own life to look at things a little differently in some aspects of adversity and what we go through, how we go through it, and our response to it. And understanding that we all go through adversity. Some of you are going through adversity right now, whatever your situation is. I wanted to tell you just a a story of that I was reflecting back in my own life was more of an emotional adversity for me. And I was thinking about this the other day. And the challenge kind of that I went through during this time, I, I remember it just like it happened yesterday. And everybody probably has their, uh, when you're younger, you know, something happens to you and emotionally it, it's painful. And I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, I'm well past it now in my life. This was, this happened when I was, I just turned 18 years old. So was that like 39 years ago or something? But it was uh, in school as a senior and going into the chapel on a Wednesday morning, filing right into this very room right here, probably, and it was back when they had benches in here. And just, we would do it every Wednesday and just come in and so I was walking in, and I was walk, as we were filing in, I was walking in, I just was running my thumb across the top of the 
the bench, no big deal. It was just like that. It was running across it. it to me, right, not a big deal. Well, they, I, no, I didn't get a sliver. <laughs> that would be physical pain, adversity. This wasn't, don't ruin my story. <laughs> so all of a sudden, one of the leaders of the school said to me, now that's the kind of thing that gets you in trouble. And then I got called out on it and said, because there was a really cool trip for seniors that I was so looking forward to going with my fellow seniors and to the beach that was coming up. So I was told, you're not going on that trip because you did that. Well, that hurt me big time emotionally. I was thinking, because when you're, you know, I haven't lived a lot of life yet, and, and so that was one of those adversity moments for me that was an emotional adversity, and then it was, a, it was a big deal, and I remember, I've never told anybody about this, but I don't even think I told my wife, she's looking at me like, what are you talking about? <laughs> See, I go, Barry, I suppress all that stuff, and now it's coming out. So I'll have all these people emailing me good counsel afterwards and all that. And uh, anyway, so, so I, didn't, I didn't get to go on this trip. And I just remember how hurtful that was to me. And I never said anything to anybody. I didn't, I didn't react. I didn't in any way. I was just, it bothered me for a long time. And I've, I eventually got over it. And I'm, you know, I'm fine to this day. Although I do remember it. And we've all had those times, right, where, where we've had something, because that you remember something that happened to you, and it was an adversity. But I remember for me personally during that time, it was, am I going to allow this, what has happened here, is it going to make me a better person, or is it going to make me a bitter person? And that, that's the struggle that we have when we go through adversity, special, especially like emotional type adversity that we're dealing with. And that, those kinds of struggles. And I, and I really chose at that time, it's like, you know, I want to use that to make me a better person. I, I don't believe anybody intended to hurt me in that way, but just things happen, and, you know, and it happens, and God allowed that to happen, obviously, for me, and it's sort of a lesson to, to process going through. You know what? Things can happen to us and just for whatever reason. So how, how do we handle those challenges and those adversities? And I was thinking about <laughs> the story of Job. And of course, if you've ever read that, it's no fun reading that story, really, because you just see all of the things that just on and on and on and on that happen with Job. And he goes through and all of the things and his friends turn on him, all, all this stuff. But I think about that and think about God and I think about his... And I started thinking about this story a little bit differently, and I want to talk about that for a few moments this morning, and just a different, a different take on this, because so many times we look at and see the unfairness of things and see why did that happen, and, and, and kind of that woe is me thing that Job certainly could have gone through. But I also noticed God has this, he loves his kids. He loves us so much, and he's so proud of us. And I believe I, I picked up this little competitive spirit that God had with the enemy, with Satan. Because they come to him, Satan and his cronies come, and Satan's like, comes to, to the Lord, and he's like, 
of course, God already knows what he's up to, but he's like, hey, what, what are you up to? I was just down looking at all the people and stuff, knowing that he's looking for an opportunity to mess with somebody. God said six words that absolutely rocked Job's life. But I believe those six words were spoken for not a reason to hurt Job, but a reason for God to ultimately receive some honor and some glory in this process. See, God saw the big picture here. But God is like, hey, (laughs) six words. Have you considered my servant Job? (laughs) You know, to Job, those words were, oh, no, (laughs) this is not good. Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan's like, well, this man is a man of integrity. I mean, you, God, you've put up a wall of protection around him. You won't let me near him. No wonder he's, you know, you've blessed him in every area of his life. He's prospered in everything. He's very rich. He's successful. Everything's a blessing. And God says, well, I'll let you test him. You can do anything you want, <laughs> anything he has, but you can't touch him physically. And Satan's like, you're on. Let's do this. Because Satan basically is telling him, hey, if I could just get to him, he's going to curse you, God. The only reason that he likes you so much is because you've protected him, you favor him, and all that. So there's this test that comes to Job, <laughs> that the enemy comes after him. Satan's, I've been patrolling this earth. I've been looking for this opportunity. And God's like, okay, it's on. It's on. I have this incredible relationship with this friend of mine, Job, and I believe in him, and I'm going to let the curtain come back, and I'm going to trust my relationship with him and his with me, and let's, let's do this thing. I think if we look at things differently when it comes to adversity, and instead of when adversity comes to us, we Whine and we complain, and that's a normal thing. God, why is this? Why are you allowing this? God, why is this going on in my life? When, if we look at it and say, wow, Lord, you obviously are allowing this adversity to come to my life right now. Lord, if in any way this brings honor and glory to your name, I'm willing to walk through this for you, Lord, because of what you've done for me. And Lord, what an honor for you to have believed in me so much that you're willing to let go and allow the enemy to harass me or just allow this to transpire. Think about, for example, have you considered my servant Hal? And Hal could be cringing going, I read Job. (laughs) I don't like it. I don't like adversity. I don't like that stuff. Or Hal could be going, Lord, wow, what an honor that you would pick me to trust to go through this adversity. Wow, God, let's do this thing. Let's do this thing together. Because that's where we're at in the place of looking at it from a different perspective. Lord, if it will bring honor and glory to your name, Because ultimately, as I've said last few weeks, God is a good God. And ultimately, 
something incredibly good happens as we go through these things, when we get on the other side of them and we see there's a testimony, a testimony of his goodness. And do we trust him in that? Because he's trusting you. He's trusting you that you'll make it through. And by the way, sometimes we don't do well in those adversities. But you know what he does? He comes right back alongside of us and he said, come on, I'm not giving up on you. I trust you. The reason... The reason you're going through this is because I've allowed it to happen, and I'm not going to allow you to fail in this. You stumbled here. Maybe you made a wrong move or made the wrong decision, but come on. We got this. We got this. We're together. We're partners. You're my kid. I'm not going to let my kid die or be destroyed here. Come on. We can do this. We look in Job chapter 4, a couple verses there where Job's friends, they're not really being the most encouraging friends at the time. But here's an interesting aspect of this, and it, and it says this, starting in verse 3, in the past, he's talking to Job, his friend, you have encouraged many people, you've strengthened those who are weak, your words have supported those who are falling, you encourage those with shaky knees, but now when trouble strikes, you lose heart. You are terrified when it touches you. Do you think that Job's ability to deal with adversity changed at all after he went through the adversity. See, he hadn't experienced it, apparently, up to this point. He had things pretty good. I believe God's looking down going, I'm going to make this a well-rounded man. He, he's a man of integrity. He's a man of giftedness. He's, everything is good in his life, but I'm going to take him even to a higher level by allowing some adversity to come because it's going to make him a stronger person, it's going to make him understand adversity and be able to help other people through the adversity. And so his friend was actually accurate probably in saying, hey, you always are good at encouraging everybody else, but now it's hitting you. How are you going to handle that? And so for us, we're in that place where it touches us. We're terrified at times. Maybe we lose heart. But I believe that Job's ability to deal with adversity was very much changed when he went through that experience. Total different perspective. I would love to interview him to ask him about that. I guarantee his attitude, everything about him would be so different. Maybe even had a judgmental spirit along the way just because he's like, yeah, what's that guy doing? What's that? But when you go through stuff, all of a sudden, it changes your perspective your appreciation for goodness of God, for life. And it's not until chapter 42, the very last few verses, that we see this thing turn. <laughs> I don't know what chapter you're in in your adversity, and I'm not here to, to predict anything for anyone, but in this particular story, it was chapter 42, right at the end, the last few verses, that we, re that we read that the Lord restores Job twofold. Everything he lost, everything that the enemy took from him, wiped him out of all kinds of things. Family belongings, all of his animal, all of his wealth. God comes back and brings restoration twofold. I believe that we need to contend for that in our own life when we're going through things as God. <laughs> because, you know, Job may not have handled all this properly either. In fact, his wife even came to and told him exactly what the enemy had told God, 
well, if you just let me at him, he's going to curse you. And, and his wife told him, Job, why don't you just curse God and die? But his attitude wasn't because of his relationship with God was, you know what, I'm going through some hell right now. But somehow, he gets through this experience. And the, and the Bible says in, in chapter 42 that he, his life was blessed. He was able to live, see the next four generations of his seed. He got to watch them grow and watch them develop and become mighty men and women of God because of what he went through. God blessed him in this. God's heart is not to in any way allow destruction to come to your life in your adversity. He's, his heart is to bless. It is. And I believe that is for people here today, that his heart is to bless you. I believe there's something that should stand out to us as believers as we go through adversity. There's something on our side. We need to grab a hold of this and understand this. There's something greater than just us in this battle. We have to make sure that we never underestimate the power of the Almighty God at work in our life in the midst of the adversity. As his church, we're going through adversity. As, as believers, we're going through adversity. But we do not want to underestimate our position as believers. We're positioned with Christ. The Bible says that. As the bride of Christ, the church, us, we're already legally, we're on the throne with him. The Bible says that. We're, we're legally part of that royal family. We're positioned with Christ. We have to make sure that we understand that. The Bible says we're seated with him in heavenly places. What better place can you be? Right in the midst of everything that's going on. If you look in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved with Christ Jesus. Come on, you got to believe that. You are reunited with Christ Jesus. He, you are reunited with him in your adversity. He's not stepping back and going, you know what, just going to let you take this on your own. I'll be back with you when you figure it out. No, he, we're united with him. We're connected with him. We're seated with him. And he is not going to allow us to be destroyed by the enemy that wants to come, just like the enemy that came and said, hey, I need to mess with somebody. <laughs> and God had, you think, man, he had all the nerve. Have you thought about my servant Job? Have you considered my servant Job? You can put your name in there. I look at it and I go, wow. Because you read the scripture, count it all joy when you go through the tests and the trials. And I think, how does that... It doesn't make sense in my mind. How do, how do I count it all joy? And I started thinking about that. I started linking that up with this and saying, you know what? I should be joyful. I should be happy. I should be honored that God is even given the opportunity for the enemy to come at me because he has faith in me, has trust in me to believe that what I've instilled, what I've put in my servant I believe ultimately will be even stronger at the end of the adversity. That's, God has chosen to partner with us. He's chosen to do that. He could do everything on his own, but he has not chosen to do that. He's chosen to partner with us. And so since he chose to partner with us, he wants to make us a strong partner. Therefore, we go through these things. The church, us, we have the weapons of prayer and faith those weapons that we have that we can go after the enemy. Those are the tools that we've been given. 
In spite of the church's weaknesses, its failures, shortcomings, all of those things, the mightiest force in the world today that we live in here on earth is the church. It is. It's the mightiest force out there is the church made up of us. It's a great force. There's only one force that can contest against the spirit of darkness. There's only one force that can come after the spirit of darkness that can defeat the enemy, that can defeat the power of darkness, and that is the church of the living God. There's nothing else on this earth that can combat what the enemy brings, and it's the church, and God has chosen us to be that, to be the church, and he's empowered us to be that. Are we doing that? Are we in that role, in that place of going after the forces of darkness? Because that's part of what we're called to do. Are we being the salt? Are we being the light? Because that's where the power is. If the church existed in name only, then we're missing out on the whole purpose of what God has called us to, who he's called us to be, and to who he's called us to become. And we're not just here by name. We're God's instruments to transform a dark world. There's transformation that needs to come outside of these walls. There's people who, are, who have been able to be grabbed by the clutches of the enemy. And God said, no, I've called my church. I've called, I'm raising up a bride. I'm raising up believers who are partnering with me to see his kingdom extended. Jesus told his disciples, hey, you're going to become fishers of men. Then he goes on to tell them, you're going to be salt and light. He, he tells his disciples, I've called you to be salt and I've called you to be light. Matthew 5, 13 through 15, Jesus tells his disciples, you're the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? He goes on to say it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. If we lose our saltiness as believers, as Christians, where will the lost souls around us receive the goodness of God that we have that we can bring them? If we don't carry that, that savory flavor of saltiness. Walking through adversity should increase our saltiness in the sense of quality of it, but so many times when we go through adversity, we allow that to be diminished. And I believe that God's heart is keep that flavor. Keep that flavor there because it's so important when we're touching the lives of people. Because so many times we don't believe God is a good God while we're going through adversity. And the reality, he is. And he's there. He's allowing something well, for whatever reason. And we don't understand all that. But he is with us through that process. Salt can always, I don't know if you've ever had, gone to a restaurant or whatever and ordered a steak and it wasn't good. It just was blah or whatever. You can always take a little bit of salt and at least fix at least a portion of the poor quality of whatever that is. Because salt can do something to, to food. It can flavor it in a way that just, it just helps restore. It brings anything that's good in there, it will find it somewhere. Whatever little good that might be in it, it can restore it. So salt can always be, is always a good thing in that regard. And I will tell you this too, salt is always good when it's used just a little at a time. And when we're salty, and we're carriers of God's presence, we're carriers of his grace, a little grace here, a little bit there, a little encouragement here or there, 
And we just come alongside people and we just sprinkle a little bit there. Just enough so that it brings some good flavor. So how many know if you just took and dumped a whole pound of salt on a steak, pretty much unedible. <laughs> pretty much. I mean, that would, that would be horrible. So we have to be careful that we're not just dumping <laughs> whatever, everything on somebody just to ruin it. It's to be properly used. Salt works as grace. That it works as grace. It's just a little bit at the right time, and there's, there's the grace of God at work. There's a scripture, uh, it's not on the screen, but it's in Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you'll have the right response for everyone. Let your salt be attractive. Let it be gracious so that your response to people is right. See, that's why God allows us to go through this stuff because our response to things a lot of times isn't right because we haven't done a good job in our adversity or we haven't experienced those things. And when we start experiencing adversity, all of a sudden our response changes to people when they're going through an adversity because we identify, we connect. I know exactly how that person feels. We can empathize with them. But we can't if we haven't been through adversity. We, we have no idea. It cha- we change our attitude from judgmental to more gracious in the sense of how we respond to people, how we react to people when they're going through things. And that's important for us. Other thing, you don't know if you know this, but humans cannot survive without salt. We would die. You have to have salt. I'm not talking all of a sudden go out and start dumping salt on everything. You get sodium pretty much without even knowing it and stuff. But, but the human body cannot survive without salt, obviously water as well. So it requires us to be salty because people in the world, they're dying. They can't live. They can't have eternal life without some salt flavoring them, some grace coming into their life. And God has called us to be that salt, to bring them life, to bring them to the place where they can have life. And then verse 14 Jumping into the salt and light, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. The light is there so we can see others, not to bring attention to ourselves. We don't turn the light on and say, hey, look at me. <laughs> and so we can see the things that are going on, so it can illuminate the room, the area. We become a light. We illuminate when we walk into a dark place. It illuminates and it gives us opportunity to make assessment and bring the value that God has into that situation. I think about this. If it, if it weren't for the influence of the church in society, I believe that the life as we know it, it would be destroyed. It would go away. I mean, if you, if you left everything to the enemy, right, to be the power on earth and to affect everything. If it, if it wasn't for the church, the bride of Christ, us, here resident on earth, it would be destroyed. You think about it, because the enemy, he, if there wasn't a force against him, he would destroy it. Because that's all he's about, steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said he's come to give life, abundant life, and he's using his church, you and I, to do that to partner with us. I think about how important the church is, how important believers are through prayer and intercession, through times of seeking him and 
seeing the Holy Spirit effectively work on the souls of lost people and, and seeing this happen, that the Holy Spirit can tenderly draw people as we sprinkle a little bit of salt in the lives of people, clearing their vision, taking the veil off their eyes to see clearly who he really is and his love for people. Here's the thing. God has not chosen to circumvent what he set up. He set up the church. He's not circumventing that. He's partnering with the church, and he's chosen to do that, and he's going to stay with that. He declares that he wants close relationship and a partnership with us. That's, that's what he says. That's who he is. His bride, the church, he is preparing us for incredible things. Ephesians 5, 31 and 32 says this, as the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and they, the two are united in one. And this is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. Do you get it that he is so connected to you? You're one with Christ. We are one with Christ, his bride, and that's all of us. Man, he has placed us the most value on us above anything else. Do you think he's going to allow something to destroy his bride? I don't think so. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming. He's coming one day. So he's called us to be that salt and light. He's chosen to partner with us. Jesus' victory over Satan was victory for the church when he defeated Satan, brought victory for the church. Although his victory over the enemy is full and complete, it was done at the cross, it was done deal, he still allows Satan to come and attack us. He allows that. We don't understand all this stuff, but he allows it because he believes in his bride, he believes in us, he wants us to grow, he wants us to mature, he wants us to get through those little challenges, those battles, because ultimately, he's coming for a bride without spot or wrinkle. There, there, there's something he's up to, something he's doing that's much bigger than our little life here on earth. It doesn't always feel good, but we're here only for a moment of history. I, I just, you know, eternity with him is, is going to be incredible. And you talk to people who are, who are right at the verge maybe of, uh, of death, and you talk to them, and, and especially if the believers, they're just like, Man, I, yeah, I enjoyed my life, but I'm look, so looking forward to spending eternity with my creator. There's, there's something that, there's a transition that happens that's incredible. You know, when we, we lose loved ones and it's bad for us here on earth because we have a, we're, we're miss, we, we miss them. There's a hole, that's that place. But I bet you if you took a poll for every person that's right now spending eternity, hey, would you go back to, they're like, eh, I like it here. <laughs> We're the ones that are kind of being selfish to want them here, but I tell you what, there's something good about eternity, something good that God has chosen there. I'm going to stop here. and we'll, Next week is Father's Day, and, and we're going to do something special for that, but the following week I want to pick up, and then we're going to have, you're going to be able to see a couple of testimonies too of people in the church in regards to adversity. So if worship team would come at this point, I just want to make one point here and then conclude because I want to pick up this next in a couple of weeks. I just want to bring out one point about prayer and the power of prayer. I want to bring this to our thought process as we're, as we're concluding today. Prayer is not about us begging God to do something for him. So many times we think that that's kind of what prayer 
we go to God begging, God, would you do this? I need you to do this. I don't believe that's what prayer is about. But I believe prayer is about enforcing Christ's victory over the enemy and re-emphasizing what he did at the cross, declaring his promises, saying, God, this is what you did. I believe you. I believe this for my life. I think if, if our prayers, we begin to shift how we pray instead of begging God to do something, but just enforcing what he's done already and thanking him for what he's done. I believe he's a powerful God. So when you hear, <laughs> have you considered my servant? And put your name in there. Maybe look at it a little bit differently. Then, oh boy, everything's going to crash down. Think, wow, I may be going through something, but I'm honored that God has chosen me. And I know that ultimately he's going to be glorified and honored. And God will reward me for that. Would you stand? We're going to sing this song and be dismissed here in a moment. But understand, in our adversity, again, I'm saying this a lot, remember, God is a good God. He's a good God. He has good things in store for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 